A few years ago, I worked at a small local pet shop during college. I was one of two women who worked there, and we didn't generally work at nights together. This store kind of specializes in saltwater fish, and reptiles in particular. To have newbie reptile or aquarium people, or people just looking to learn some more, before actually getting a little companion. About a year into me working there, this one man came in and started asking questions about the bearded dragons in particular. I humored him for the first couple of minutes he came in and answered his questions for an hour and a half to two hours each time he came in. But then he just kept coming in, not buying anything, not looking at any other animals. He refused to talk to any of my other co-workers standing right next to me. He was definitely a dude with a creepy vibe. But after about the third time this guy came in and questioned me about the bearded dragon's mating habits for about an hour, we all started getting uncomfortable. He knew my schedule because we were such a small store. I would call my friends and tell them to come hang out at the shop while he was there because he was just so persistent about talking to me and only about the bearded dragons with the occasional, do you have a boyfriend? Or a pickup line. I told him that I wasn't interested each time and told him I had a boyfriend, even though I didn't. At first, we were all pretty forgiving, chalking it up to social awkwardness, but it started to get scary when he would come in, look for me, not find me, but he'd find my car, which was significantly damaged and obviously my car back then, and he would just hang outside the shop. My bosses and managers started telling me to hide out in the back, employees only, rat mouse room, when he'd come in. My friends were weirded out. I was getting very uncomfortable around him, and my coworkers were actively trying to curb his enthusiasm for coming in, but I ended up just quitting the job. Around a month later, I'm watching the news with my dad, and oh buddy, were we in for a surprise. This same guy had been escorted off his ex's property in a local town by police, came back to the house the same night and murdered her. When she didn't show up for work, her co-workers called for a welfare check. Police got there. He answers the door and tells them that his name is Zeus. It most definitely was not his real name. He lets in the police and they found her body in the bathtub in a tarp. They also found bloody plates, silverware, and pans in her sink. He had cooked and eaten parts of her heart, liver, and brain. He's still waiting for a trial in our state, and his interviews and clips of news people questioning him while the police were escorting him to the court are just bonkers. He tried to claim demonic possession at one point. He had previously murdered two people and been released from prison before moving to our area. Trust your instincts about people you interact with. People are wild. Let's definitely not meet. I was around the age of 13 and staying at a friend's house for New Year's Eve. She lived out on a farm, so there weren't many houses around where she lived. We were sitting on her bed and I happened to notice her dog running into the darkness outside. He was barking but I thought he must have been barking at a fox or something. I didn't think anything of it until a few minutes later when I see him in my view again. He was growling and then I saw what he was growling at. There was a woman trying to hit and kick him 
I told my friend that there was someone outside and she thought I was joking. My friend turned around and realized that there was actually a woman out there. She ran to her dad and told him about it. He ran to his room and came back with a shotgun. It's safe to say that my friend and I were scared and he didn't even seem like the type of man to own a gun. Her mom heard the commotion and they both went outside to the woman. Keep in mind that this is well past midnight in the country so it's very scary to see a random woman outside attacking the dog. My friend's mom invited the woman inside because she seemed distressed. She offered her a glass of water and said that she would call the police. The woman was saying not to call the cops and that her boyfriend was actually down the road and they had gotten into an argument and it had gotten physical but she would be fine. Brian grabbed his car keys and said that he would be back and he was going to see if the boyfriend was still there. The woman told him that she would come but he said no. This is the scariest part. As he was driving down the road he saw the car and as he was driving up to it his headlights lit up a bush and there was a man standing there trying to hide. Brian quickly turned around and drove back to the house. He told her that he was going to call the police and she needed to stay inside until they arrived. At this point, he thought she was a victim and felt sorry for the woman. She ended up just getting up and saying that she was fine and left even though my friend's mom was trying to get her to stay and wait for the cops. They came out and took a statement. Then they told Brian that there has been a lot of car thieves lately in this manner where someone would knock at night and get the homeowner to help. And when they would get near the car, the man would come out and rob them, stealing the car. The cops searched around the area for this couple, but they never found them. As 13-year-olds, this was such a scary experience and just so unexpected. We still bring it up to each other now that we're in our 20s, just amazed that there are people out there with such malicious intent. My parents lived next door to a small red house. Our backyard faces the side of their house, which has a deck and two large windows. Around front, there are always at least three cars parked outside. Oddly enough, in the 10 years I lived here, I never saw anyone enter or leave. Once when I was 12, I saw a shadow thrown against the far wall that was visible through one of the windows. When my sister moved out, I took her room, a large, open converted space in the basement, which had a door and an outdoor stairwell, which led to the backyard. The door had a small window on it, which my sister covered with a Pulp Fiction poster. I redecorated and replaced the poster with some of those sheer half-curtain things. The way the room was set up, if I was laying in the bed or sitting on the couch, I was facing the door. When I first moved down there, I noticed that sometimes at night, I would hear the sound of leaves crunching in the stairwell. I chalked it up to my cat, who liked to roam the neighborhood. I had no reason to suspect otherwise, until a few weeks later. One night, when my parents were away on business, my boyfriend and I were sitting on the couch smoking. Suddenly, he got really stiff and was just staring at the window. I asked him what was wrong and he said, I just saw a camera flash. I kind of just laughed it off and chalked it up to him being high. 
Who would want to take a picture of two people getting stoned? Still, the seeds of the paranoia had been sown and it wasn't easy to get settled down for sleep that night. I kept looking at the gap between the curtains. There was no light at the bottom of the stairs, so if someone was really down there, I'd be none the wiser. At around 3, I heard the distinct sound of leaves under heavy boots. Definitely not a cat. I don't know what made me decide the best course of action was for me, standing all of 5'3", to confront the potential stalker myself. I didn't even put shoes on. I threw the door open. There was no one in the stairwell. So I ran up the stairs into the backyard. Standing there was a man in his mid-40s, maybe 6 feet tall, wearing one of those mechanic jumpsuits. He was holding a clunky, outdated digital camera. We stood there for a second just looking at each other. He seemed confused to see me. After what felt like an eternity, I remembered how to speak. What the fuck are you doing? My voice seemed to startle him and he immediately turned. He ran through the backyard towards the red house and into the dark. After that, I didn't see any strange flashes of light or hear any crunching of leaf noises. It really freaks me out to think how many nights he could have been standing out there in the dark, watching me. So I'm reading these posts and decide maybe I should post what happened to my friend and I in high school. I was in 10th grade and we had a 4 day weekend in the winter. Her cousin was older, in her 20s and had a small house about 2 hours away in the country. She said we could spend the weekend with her. It was pretty rural, very beautiful and quiet. One gas station that had Krispy Kremes delivered daily. We go up there to get our donuts and come home. A very short drive, maybe two minutes. We had a good time, watching movies and such, and went to bed around 1am. The bedroom we stayed at had two windows with those cheap plastic blinds and one had a bed beneath it. We lied down and my friend falls asleep very fast, leaving me to a quiet house. As I'm drifting off, I hear a very soft, almost imperceptible slight dragging sounds followed by a small crunch the noises got louder and suddenly a shadow slides over us the moon was bright and the ground was covered in snow it was like someone was standing outside the window with the moonlight shining behind them my heart was pounding and racing and feels like it's about to burst and i hold my breath for longer than i thought was possible the noises started and the shadow walked away. I could not sleep and lied curled up in the middle of the bedroom, terrified until daylight hit when I finally got the guts to move from my position and get her cousin. After I told her what happened, we went outside and there were footsteps leading up to the window and then back away again. We were so terrified, three females out there alone. We packed up so fast and got out of there in under 10 minutes. To this day, I can't sleep under a window. I still love Krispy Kreme though. I was 21 years old at the time and I was having one hell of a summer. I had taken a break from my college courses and started working a full-time and a part-time job. I worked part-time at a grocery store 
which is where I met a lot of people and got to even go to some parties with some of these people. I was the type of person that if you put a drink in my hand, then I was going to be smiling and having a great time. I never wanted to cause trouble with anybody. It was about mid-July and I had just gotten off work at the grocery store. I called my buddy up that worked at the store with me to see if he wanted to grab a drink or two. He said that he was going to go to someone's house party instead of a bar that night. So I decided to meet him there. I went home, changed clothes and proceeded to drive out to the party. It was about 10.30pm and I had to drive out to this swampy looking area surrounded by trailers and a dirt road for several miles. I remember turning onto this road where the house was located and I saw about a quarter of a mile ahead of me a pickup truck with its emergency flashers on. I took a quick look at it and thought maybe it was my friend's truck because it looked familiar. I drove up to the truck and saw a guy sitting in the driver's seat with a girl in the passenger seat. I told him that I had mistaken them for someone else and asked if they were okay. The man looked like he was already boozed up and looked at me with a drunken smile stating, Nah man, I'm fine. I'm just trying to figure out what's going on myself. Once I checked to be sure that they were okay, I went about my business and drove to the party. It was the last time I spoke to that person. I arrived to the party shortly thereafter, and looking back at it now, I wish I had never got out of my truck and set foot on that property. There were people standing around chatting in the front yard while another guy kept yelling back at someone in the trailer. I guess an altercation or disagreement had taken place before I got there because all I kept hearing was someone saying, I'm going to fuck that motherfucker up if he sets a foot around here again. I did my best to ignore all of it and went inside to play beer pong with some people I knew. I wasn't looking for any trouble that night. I just wanted to drink beer and chill. As I sat on the couch enjoying my cold one and bullshitting with some of the guys, I saw this heavyset guy storm back into the house and walk down the hallway. When he came back, he had what appeared to look like a rifle and a shotgun in his hand. He came back in and for some reason I introduced myself to him. He stared me down for a while, puffing on a cigarette. My hand extended out to him and he didn't shake my hand. Instead he pulled out his pocket knife and flicked it open and said, Name is Billy and you best be on my good side cause I ain't no one to fuck with. I remember after he walked away, I hurried up, finished drinking my beer, and drove back home. Something about that night was a little unsettling to me. I don't know what it was, but something didn't seem right. A few days passed, and I was on my way to work. I had to stop to fuel up, so I stopped at a convenience store and went inside to pay for gas. When I went in, I saw the newspaper rack over by the counter. And when I went to go look at it, one article was titled, Man Found Dead Near the River. The article title wasn't what gave me chills. It was a picture underneath the title. It was a man I saw parked outside the road that night when I was heading to the party. People believed that someone had murdered him. And to this day, I don't believe the case was ever solved. I think back on that night sometimes, wondering if I was just at the wrong place at the wrong time. But I also think someone at that party had to have some involvement with the killing of that man. 
Sometimes I wonder if Billy was the man who murdered the guy, but I don't know. What I do know is, after that incident, I was very careful about who I hung out with on the weekends. This just happened two nights ago. I'm not over it. I was working in my bedroom, which is where my desktop is set up. It was about 12.45 when I decided to wind down for the night. My husband had gone to bed around 9pm, but offered to take the guest room so I didn't have to stop working. He's awesome. Typically, when this happens, my husband takes a dog with him. So imagine my surprise when I turn off the lights and saw my pup crawl out from the other side of the bed, give a big stretch, and come up to me. It was now 1am, on the dot. I turn on the patio light to let the dog out to go potty. She is older and tends to wake us up in the middle of the night to go. I thought I would prevent that from happening. I watched through the blinds as my dog stared out and began to wag her tail profusely. She crept just out of view, her eyes very focused. I got a gross sense of dread and began to panic. I threw the door open and called for her. That's when I heard him. I don't know what he said. I was too petrified to listen, really. She didn't come at first, just kind of looked at me and then back at the person on my porch, who I couldn't see. I noticed then that there were pillows and a blanket stacked on top of my grill that for sure weren't mine. I screamed my dog's name and she came back in. I ran to the other side of the house and woke my husband up, shouting that there was someone on our porch. He got up in disbelief and wandered to our patio entrance from the kitchen and opened the door. There, a young man in his 20s or so sat on the ground against our house. He was barefoot and on the same wall that the bedroom entrance to the patio is on, which is why I couldn't see him unless I had stepped out. My husband asked if he was alright, but couldn't hear his response. My husband told him that he was at the wrong house and that he needed to leave. We went to our safe and grabbed our gun, trying to talk through the insanity and our nerves. We didn't live in a crime-heavy city, and we've never heard about anything happening in our neighborhood. Nothing like this had ever happened to us before. There we were, 1am, with a stranger on our patio who had been there for God only knows how long, in the dark. We walked back out to the living room and saw that he had moved to a chair on our patio. My husband shined the light on the handgun at him and shouted for him to leave and I called the police. When they arrived, the man was gone, but his pillows, blankets, were still out there. One of the officers told us that he believed he knew who the young man was. He had a psychotic episode earlier in the week after coming off his bipolar meds. He lived nearby and was probably headed back that way. We're no strangers to mental illness, so naturally I felt awful that we had leapt to calling the police and brandishing a weapon. But at the same time, what the fuck are you doing in my yard? When I was in third grade, there's this girl in my class. She wasn't particularly liked by anyone, and she was quite the bully and overall rude person, even to adults. She was known to have anger issues and get mad at people for what seemed like no reason. I was no exception. Her name was Carly. 
She had been mean to me in the past, but that didn't deter me from going to her house one day after she had been nice to me all day at school. Naive, I know. So before leaving school that day, I called my mom to ask her if I was allowed to go to Carly's house. She said yes and to call her when I got there so I could give her the address. Now when I think back, I wonder if she had a bad feeling about the situation since she didn't normally ask for the address and she isn't picking me up since Carly's house was only about two blocks away. When I get there, after calling my mom of course, Carly insisted on making me look pretty, aka wetting my hair and brushing it. I let her, then she told me to close my eyes and that she was going to take me into the living room. I closed my eyes and she began to guide me towards the bathtub. We were already in the bathroom, so the tub was a solid two feet away from where I was standing. I opened my eyes just enough to see where she was guiding me. My foot hit the side of the tub and I said that this doesn't feel like the living room. She said it was and that I just needed to step over the gate. I tell her that I know that this is a bathtub. She stops trying to get me into the tub and brings me to the kitchen instead. She says she's going to make cereal. I was standing behind her when she reached into the dishwasher and said she was grabbing a spoon. The way she clarified that she was grabbing a spoon immediately told me what she was going to grab and it was for sure not a spoon. I can still remember the feeling of dread that overcame me when she said those words. She pulls out a large knife and backs me into the corner, holding the knife only two inches away from my neck. I can't remember if any words were exchanged during this. Maybe I was too shocked to say anything. I only stayed there for maybe 30 seconds before I pushed her aside and ran towards the door. I grabbed my backpack and put on my winter boots. By the time I had my boots on, Carly was trying to block the sliding door. I pushed past her and flung the door open. I ran down her patio steps and out the front gate, not bothering to close it. I just wanted to get home where I was safe. I remember her yelling at me as her dog escaped through the open gate. I didn't care. One of her neighbors who was in their front lawn waved and smiled at me clearly oblivious to what had just gone down. I ran down the road and to my house, not stopping once. It wasn't until I was in the door of my house that I broke down. I began to cry and yell for my mom. My two older sisters yelled at me to shut up. My mom walked over to me and immediately knew something was wrong. I explained to her what happened and she was very understanding and freaked out. I can't remember if this was the same day or the next day that I had to talk to a police officer about what happened. He asked me what kind of knife it was and what not. I think my mom relayed most of the story to him because I don't remember having to say much. They got in contact with Carly's foster mom and Carly got in big shit for it. At school, Carly yelled at me for getting the cops involved and tried to guilt trip me by saying her mom threatened to put her back in foster care if she did anything like that again. I told her I didn't care. The school was also notified about the situation and the teachers made sure to keep an extra eye on her, but that didn't mean I wasn't paranoid around her. I made sure to keep my guard up for the rest of the school year. I always thought it was a bit extreme to involve the cops, but it ended up making Carly never mess with me again. 
I ended up moving after that year for unrelated reasons, only to move back before I started 6th grade. The first day of middle school, I was waiting for them to call my name, so I know which class is my homeroom. When I hear an all too familiar name, Carly, I watch as no one goes up to join the class. Was she not here? Next I was called. I go up to join the class that she would have been in. I found out later when the teacher was doing attendance that she had moved three hours away just before the beginning of the school year. It's been three years since then and I can only hope she doesn't come back. But if she does, I'm not too concerned. I will make sure she stays the hell away from me. That incident gave me some trust issues, but at least now I know to choose my friends wisely. I was vacuuming my house at 9.30pm with my music playing when I get a knock at my door. My boyfriend was at work and I wasn't expecting company, especially so late at night. I turned the music down and realized the door was not locked. Instantly, I'm terrified. I'm only 4'10", so I had to prop myself up the wall to look through the peephole and carefully lock the door. More pounding. The man outside my door is no one I recognize and looks disgruntled, dirty, and quite frightening. He was short and stocky and looked angry. He grew frustrated, knowing I just turned down my music. He heard me lock the door and started calling out, Ma'am. More knocking. Excuse me, ma'am. How the fuck did he know I was a woman? I look around the room and I see that my blinds are open and I realize he must have been watching me vacuum. Thankfully, my neighbors right across from me opened their doors and the husband asked, Who are you and what are you doing? Startled, the creep fumbles and says, Oh, good evening, sir. I was just going to offer my carpet cleaning services to her. The husband goes, that's great. She doesn't want it. You need to leave right now. Creep left promptly. Afterwards, I called the police, my boyfriend, and I closed my blinds and texted the neighbors to thank them for scaring him away. I paid extra to live on the top floor, but it seems this creep was watching me from below. So this happened last night. At 2am I hear my door open and it was a really dark room so I thought it was just my roommate. Well, the person walks straight to my laundry basket and starts shuffling through it as if looking for something. I sit up and say, hey, is everything okay? No response. Person then proceeds to walk back out of my room and close the door behind them. I get up and open my door to see my roommate's boyfriend staring at himself in the bathroom mirror. I again ask if he's alright, and no response. I just closed and locked my door and got back in bed. This morning I told my roommate what happened. Her boyfriend had left for the day, and she said that she found my towel and bra in her room this morning. Basically, he was sleepwalking, but it creeped me the fuck out. This was five or six years ago. After meeting with a couple of my friends who were stationed at a nearby bar, my friend Robin and I decide to end girls night early at 1am. I'm horrible with street names so bear with me. We went to Rocket Bar 
so you can know that it was near there. We got into the car and started pulling out. We were driving a bit slow because we weren't familiar with this area, so we didn't want to miss any turns. I had my window rolled down because when I drink, I get a bit flushed. The street that we were on was a bit dead at the time. We heard a yell and some loud ass crying. It was clearly a lady's voice, so we slowed down to see what was going on. Robin was driving and I was in the passenger seat. On our right side, we saw a lady stumble out of the street, holding her chest and crying. Robin locked the doors and cautiously rolled her window up, leaving it only an inch open. Thank God. The lady came right up to the window and said, I need help. I asked, what's wrong, honey? She kept repeating, I need help, over and over again. Me being a naive idiot, I put my hand on the door like I'm about to open it, only to be grabbed by Robin whispering, Don't fucking open the door. The lady, who had been mumbling I need help repeatedly, like she was slurring, saw Robin stop me, and her eyes opened wide as hell, and she started yelling, I need help! We jumped at that, and said, How can we help? She shoved her fingers in the cracked part of the window and screamed, Let me in! We started yelling, Stop that! And she started yanking at the door handle. Robin said, Oh hell no! And we started pulling away. I shit you not, the next 30 seconds was fucking terrifying. The lady yelled to someone, They're leaving! And we saw two guys run out from a car parked a few cars behind us, on the right. Robin sped away, like a scene from an action movie. We looked in our rearview mirror and saw that the three of them were standing in the street. Ladies and gentlemen, please be careful. I can't imagine what would happen to my dumbass if it weren't for my friend. I know it's in some of us to want to help, but there's a lot of evil people out there who disguise themselves to be in harm. Be aware of your surroundings and always lock your doors. I lived in a small town in Denmark with a population of roughly 3,000 people where nothing ever really happens and the following scared the entire town to death. Back in 2005 or so, when I was still in kindergarten, a strange and agitated man who was a father to one of the children came and demanded to my teacher that he wanted to see his daughter and take her out of school. My teacher could see in his eyes that something was not right and that he was extremely upset. My teacher, therefore, denied him to see his daughter, and after a very uncomfortable discussion, the father eventually gave up, walked to his car without looking back, and drove home. My teacher grew very worried and decided to call the local police to go check the family house. Later that day, it came on the news that the father had murdered his own wife with a gun and afterwards shot himself in the head. At the time, my best friend lived next door to the family and he has since told me that he could hear the mother screaming in a very horrifying way followed by three gunshots and then a grown man crying his heart out, 10 seconds of silence and finally one more gunshot. It creeps me out just to think about this and I feel so sorry for the daughter who was left an orphan at such an early stage in life. I really don't know what would have happened to the daughter if my teacher had not stopped the man from taking her home with him. I hope you're having a decent life wherever you are, girl. I'm just going to get right into this. I am now 27, 
And this happened when I was about 11. I lived in a pretty large city, right next to City Park, and in not such a great part of town. Lots of homeless people drinking in the park after dark, and lots of drugs and gang members were everywhere. But as a kid, I didn't know better. However, my mother should have. She let me go out after dark. I would walk around town all the time. Plus, I had a habit that every day, I would walk about four or five blocks to the gas station, called the CGS, to get a big fountain drink. While my friend had came home with me on the bus that day, it was a public bus. So we get out, run inside and ask my mom for a few dollars for some soda, and she obliged. We spent the walk down to the gas station listening to music on a crappy CD player and goofing off. On the way, we noticed a group of homeless men sitting in a gazebo near the sidewalk that we were headed up. They were drinking at the time and looking at us strangely, so naturally it gave us the creeps. We crossed the street and didn't think any more of it. We got our delicious fizzy drinks, made some jokes about the sign that said, no shirts, no shoes, no service, and headed home. On the way back, we stayed on the sidewalk that didn't have the gazebo. We were about three blocks from our home. My friend poked me and said, hey, that guy's following us. And that's where my ears picked up a distinct sound of footsteps behind us. I remember watching something that said, if someone's following you to cross the street. So we sped up a little bit and crossed the road. He sped up and followed us. We were on hiding alert now, so we sped up again. We were pretty much speed walking at this point, and we crossed again. Halfway through the road, we heard him yell, Hey, hold up. We didn't listen, we just kept going. And of course, he followed us. And at this point, we started to flat out run. We ran maybe a block back to my house, and he stopped following us right across the street, where he promptly veered off to the right. We were so freaking scared to the point that we were hysterically laughing and crying in the middle of the courtyard. I think I hyperventilated or something because I had dropped my giant 64 ounce soda and spilled it everywhere, then probably threw up into the puddle. Directly after, I had a few minutes to calm down and I had this jolt of memory as to who the guy was. Two or three weeks ago, I celebrated my 11th birthday and my family had thrown a big party where they invited a couple of homeless guys to hang out and eat some barbecue with us. This was one of the men who had been invited and his name was Styx. We laughed the ordeal off and thought we were dumb for overreacting because, duh, we knew him. However, sometimes I think about this and all I can wonder is why this man tried to start a conversation with a kid you don't know except from a small birthday bash. He never even talked to me at the party. All I know is I'm glad we didn't stop and talk to him at the park. To the creepy guy chasing two 11 year olds. Let's not meet again. I grew up in Ohio in the 70s and me and my childhood friend Joe were outside all the time. Joe lived on a farm that bordered a pretty big forest and my parents would drop me off in the morning and we would stay in the woods all weekend. We only came out for school. We loved pretending that we were frontiersmen. We built shelters, traps, practiced making fire with sticks, the whole nine yards. When we got to be in high school, we got the notion to pull a Stand By Me. This was based on the movie with the same name that had just came out. 
the idea was that we would walk on the railroad tracks out in the country. Instead of looking for a dead body, we'd find cool bridges to fish from and a camp a little ways off the tracks. Of course, we knew it was dangerous and that we'd likely be trespassing, but we were kids. We had a lot of fun. We did find beautiful rivers, discovered bridges that no one went to. We fished. We hid from a lot of trains. At night, we camped in the woods just near the tracks and made small hidden fires. Nothing bad ever happened. In fact, it was so fun that we did it multiple times. Never had a problem. After high school, me and Joe went our separate ways. We both left home, but always stayed in touch and always tried to coordinate visits so we see each other occasionally. One summer in the mid-90s, it worked out that we were both in town for about a week. We'd do stuff with the family in the day, and at night, we'd either catch drinks at a bar or sit outside Joe's house around a fire and talk about the old days. One night, Joe and I got to talking about our stand-by-me trips. Well, nostalgia and a beer are a hell of a mix. So we decided to take a day, walk the rails, camp for one night, and walk home. The day came and we started out early in the morning. We had my wife drop us off at the old spot where we used to start, right outside our hometown. She thought this was absolutely crazy and made sure to mention it. When she pulled away, Joe suggested instead of walking our usual route, we'd take the opposite direction, just to be adventurous. We knew the land well, and we had a map, so I gave it a, what the hell, and we set off. The day went fine. It was fun, and a little sad, but in a good way. We found a bridge and sat on the edge, smoked a joint, and moved on. We had no fishing gear, but we had brought some canned food and other stuff. Before the night started to set in, we picked a spot to camp. It was a thick forested area. Trees on every side of the train tracks, so it felt like you were in a tunnel. We had brought small hammocks to sleep on, but before we set them up, we decided to do a little scouting of the perimeter. Now, this is what we used to do in the old days. We'd walk around the area for a little bit to make sure some dude's house wasn't just over the hill and we were actually camping in their yard. We walked around maybe 100 feet or so in the woods, up a small incline. We figured if we didn't see anything from the top of the short hill, we'd be fine. But when we get to the top, we see an old building down at the bottom, about a hundred yards into the woods. It was barely visible. We pondered over what to do. We both assumed that it was a sugar shack or something, because there didn't appear to have a clear road into it. From where we were, there didn't look to be anyone in it either. All was quiet, no movement could be seen. No lights. We decided to walk a little closer just to make sure. We came down the hill very slowly and as we neared the building we saw that it wasn't a sugar shack. It was an old church. It looked like it had been abandoned for years. It was a sagging building whose wooden planks were almost black from the years of moss and rot. A cross still stood up at the top of the place, also weathered black. None of the windows had glass and there were no doors. Just an open doorway. We got close enough to see inside. There was rows of pews and a built-up section in front for the preacher to stand. We didn't go in all the way. We didn't want to. Beyond all that, there was no sign of anyone else. No footprints. 
no paths, no roads. It was an abandoned church. We left immediately and went back up the hill to our spot we had picked to camp. Having the hill between us and the church made us feel better, but we were still a little uneasy. We chalked it up to being the natural creepiness of seeing a church in the middle of the woods. Besides, at this point, it was dusk and we just decided to rig up our hammocks and go to sleep and move on at early morning. Night set in, and as we laid in the hammocks and shot the shit, we began to hear something in the direction of the church. Our conversations went a little like this. Did you hear that? What the fuck was that? It's like people singing. And it did just sound like singing. We both slid right out of our hammocks and hunkered down, straining to hear more. We listened for a minute or two, and the singing continued, but it wasn't getting louder. Finally, we decided to creep back up the hill to see if we could spy where the sound was coming from. We could still move very quietly through the woods from the old days. It was second nature to us. The moon was barely out, but it provided enough light so you wouldn't walk right into a tree. But it was near pitch black. We didn't use flashlights as we crept slowly up the hill, and we didn't talk. When we got to the top of the hill, we saw a light in the distance. It was coming from the church, and the singing was coming from inside. Joe and I put our heads close together and had a hushed conversation that boiled down to, Can you believe this shit? The light looked to be candlelight from the way it flickered, and though we tried, we couldn't make out what was being sung. It sounded like church music, but in another language. We sat and watched for a while, trying to see who was in there, but we only saw occasional shadows. We had no intention of getting closer either. We had about a football field length between us and aimed to keep it that way. The singing continued for a bit, and then it stopped. After that, a booming male voice began to chant. I was already freaked out, but this voice thoroughly scared the shit out of me. It sounded like some Old Testament preacher you see in the movies. But again, it was like he was speaking in a different language because we couldn't understand a single word. Eventually it got to where a single male voice would say something and a bunch of voices would answer in song. This lasted for a while and then they all broke into this long, sustained wail that kept getting louder. It got so loud and so disturbing that I had to cover my ears. Then it stopped. At this point, I was just ready to say, let's get the fuck out of here, when Joe put his hand on my shoulder and hissed, they're coming out. We were far enough away that we couldn't really make them out well, but what we could see was a line of figures walk out the doorway, all holding hands in single file. We could see some of them had flashlights. They began to sing again, and then the light from the flashlights began to move towards us and the hill. We booked it back to our campsite, grabbed our shit, and ran back to the tracks. Once there, we ran down the direction we had came from. After a few minutes, we stopped and looked back. We saw the lights coming down the hill. They were moving erratically, like whoever was holding them was shaking them. We continued to run in spurts, and walk as fast as we could. We eventually stopped seeing lights and came to a road. By our map, we knew a small town was about 15 minutes down it and we could walk there. We got to a 24-hour gas station and I called my wife to get us. My wife and other friends all thought it was just kids messing with us, but I heard those voices 
and they sure as hell didn't sound like any kids to me. Not sure who those people were, but it was definitely the creepiest thing that has ever happened to me out in the woods. I'm a 45-year-old Belgian guy, but my origins are 100% Moroccan. Although I always lived in Belgium, I used to spend most of my summer holidays in Morocco as a child while my mother remained in Belgium for work. At that time, my relatives in Morocco were farmers. They lived in the countryside about 40 kilometers from Tangier, a very remote and poor place with no access to electricity or even roads that weren't made of dirt. No lights, no radio, no TV, no toilets, no tap water, not anything. Kerosene lamps, wells, and cob ovens were still the norm. My grandfather was mowing hay while my grandmother was taking care of the cattle. They were helped by my uncles and aunts, who were late teenagers back then, in the early 80s. That was pretty much their occupation at that time of the year. It was either that, cleaning the farm, welling up the water, baking bread, cooking the evening meal, or praying God. No leisure whatsoever. Being the only child on the farm, I was either getting in everyone's way or bored to death as there wasn't much to do, really. They were way too busy trying to make ends meet for everyone, so even though they took really good care of me, there was no quality time I could expect from anyone. The neighbors had many children I could have played with, but my family was overprotective. As my mom wasn't around, they felt like their main mission was to keep me safe more than to keep me entertained. It was another place and another time. A kid well-fed and secure was the only concern, and considering their situation, it was an achievement on its own. Besides, and that's typically Moroccan, they were afraid of the evil eye, which is a curse believed to be cast by malevolent glares. Indeed, I was very noticeable. For whatever reason, and unlike my relatives, I had straight blonde hair, which is unusual but not rare at all in that region. Pale skin and my clothes were very western, made me look like a wealthy Scandinavian kid compared to the kids around. The country was so poor and out of time you wouldn't believe. There was something medieval to it at a social level, and Mesopotamian somehow for pretty much everything else. It could have very well been 4000 BC. Therefore, they basically hid me and kept me in a bubble the whole time I was there. So, all in all, I had nothing much to do on my own most of the time, and anything beyond the farm was pretty much off-limits. Grandpa was too rough of a guy to hang out with. He didn't like kids, or he didn't like me. I couldn't tell. But there was one thing I loved to do, though. Taking the cows to the pasture at dawn and bring them back at dusk with my grandma. It was her daily ordeal because each and every morning she desperately tried to sneak out while I was sleeping. But I knew better and almost never missed a day. However, the pastures were pretty far away from the farm and my grandma had to carry me on her back for long distances as I was half asleep most of the time. And the rest of it, I pretty much teased the cows way too much with sticks and she always had a hard time keeping the herd together because of me. But she never complained, God rest her soul. Once arrived at the pastures, I got to hook some of the cows to the ground to prevent them from escaping. Each cow had its own rope around its neck, and the other end was attached to a rough and fat metal spike. All I had to do was to find some stone around that would be large and dense enough to firmly peg those spikes to the ground. That alone was fun enough to make my days. But one of those days, I was seven years old at the time. 
We were at the pastures earlier than usual, so much that the sun wasn't totally out yet. The place was more remote and the land more rugged than usual too. There were trees and big rocks all around, and Grandma put me in charge of finding a couple of stones in order for us to peg the spikes. But I couldn't find any around, so I had to search a little. After a few minutes looking down for some, I realized that I couldn't see my grandma or the cows anymore, but I knew she couldn't be very far. And suddenly, behind some big rocks in front of me, I saw... a thing. It was definitely human-like, sort of. It was looking at me, smiling. I just can't tell if its face was male or female. It was both and neither at the same time. It's not that I couldn't tell. It has more to do with the fact that the features of its face seem to be constantly redefining themselves. I remember clearly that it had pointy ears. And what scared the hell out of me, beyond its creepy smile, was its teeth. They were pointy too and looked like tiny ivory knives. But that wasn't just it. It had small horns on the forehead, backward goat paws instead of legs, and freaking hooves instead of feet. Its hair was short, but it wasn't anything like human hair. It was something between a filthy fur and horse hair. It was awfully grotesque. Sketchy even, but definitely nightmarish. I was so scared that I peed my shorts instantly. I screamed my lungs out, and I began to run hectically as I couldn't remember where I came from. But whatever my speed, and whatever my direction, that thing kept on appearing at each and every corner. Behind a rock or a tree, totally still, as if it never moved and never had to catch up. And each time it appeared to me, its smile and its laughter kept growing, like it was feeding off of my fear. So much so that at the end, it was just hideous and totally inhuman. That mouth ended up filling up half of its face and the teeth wouldn't stop growing. I felt like I was trapped in a maze and it was over. Suddenly, I heard my grandma who had been alarmed by my screams and I ran towards her trying to explain what I saw. She remained calm and felt concerned but I couldn't convince her to come and see what I saw as she said to me that there was nothing to be seen, that I was tired and probably imagining things because of the low light. I have no recollection of us coming back though, except that she was praying out loud on our way home and that I was sleeping or dozing on her back. I just remember being sick for three days at the farm afterwards. I stayed in bed as I was dizzy and vomiting, making very weird dreams that totally fucked up my senses. It is hard to describe. The sense of touch, sight, and smell were all the same thing at once. I was confused and delirious. Something that I kept having for all my childhood at least twice a year since then and no doctor ever found out what it was, until it ended by itself when I became a teenager. Anyway, I recall that my family looked very worried while I was sick, more than they should have been, and more than they've ever been even though they've seen me sick before. Remember that it was the remote countryside. Morocco is a land of superstitions, witchcraft, and traditions, especially back then. So healers were a thing. In fact, they were the only thing. Doctors weren't the first call back then. You were taken care of by the local healer who used potions made of plants, oil, spices, spit, animal feces, and other weird stuff that they made up while saying some Islamic incantations and writing some dark shit on amulets. We are famously known for these practices, unfortunately. The reason I say this is that I recall a name my family mentioned several times while I was in bed which was something like Aisha Kandisha. 
To me, it felt like they were talking about a healer that they knew and would call to take care of me. It wasn't the first time, and indeed, that's what happened. A very old healer came by my bed to fix me. Eventually, a few days later, I felt better, and that was the end of that. When I talked about it to my relatives, they said that I was ill, that I had hallucinated, and that there was nothing to be worried about anymore. Since then, and up until now, that's all I could ever get from them. Except that I know what I saw, that it was real, and that I became ill after the events. Before that, I was just fine. The weirdest thing is that I know for sure that I will meet this thing again before I die. Why? I don't know, but it's a certainty. I just know. Will it be the very day I die? I don't know, but I will see it again. It's like this idea has been carved into my brain since that very day, but that's not it. A few years later, when I was about 12 years old, we visited a museum with my school in Belgium. And at some point, we happened to see a satire on a painting and it struck me because it was exactly what I saw five years earlier in the countryside. Except that what I saw was hermaphrodite and way, way, way more evil. I know it's a Greek-Roman mythology and that it's not even remotely related to Morocco, but that's what I saw anyway. And that was the first time I ever heard about ancient mythologies, so I couldn't have made that up five years earlier. However, I didn't investigate further because there was nothing to investigate, really. A satire in Morocco is too long of a stretch. It's definitely something that, at least, validated what I saw with my own eyes, but it remained a dead end. However, the part that is most disturbing, though, is that, not so long ago, about ten years ago at most, I stumbled upon the word Aisha Kandicha online. No way I could have forgotten that name. I read about it and realized that my family hadn't actually been talking about the healer when they said that name back then. They referred to the Moroccan folklore. Indeed, Aisha Kandicha happens to actually be a mythological character. Half witch, half jinn, that seems to be part of the Moroccan culture, especially near Tangier, and it is documented as such. It is supposed to take the appearance of a woman in remote lands in order to seduce and kill men. The most interesting part is that she is described as having the legs of a hoofed animal such as a goat or camel. This blew my mind. I couldn't have made this shit up 38 years ago. I can totally understand that people, especially kids, can make some memories up, but it's hard to make up something that you heard about only 28 years later. To me it's more than a satire or a witch. The fact that I got sick and confused chronically way later on and for years after makes me believe she is a succubus of some sort. I feel like she partially drained something out of me but couldn't complete her job entirely. And I know she will eventually find me and finish whatever she started. The strangest thing is that I am a rational guy. To my bones. I don't believe in gods or superstitions or ghosts or anything like that. But I saw what I saw and I can tell the difference between a hallucination and an actual encounter. It's been decades and I haven't gone back to Morocco and I would lie if I said it's not partially because of that. But I know I will go back sooner or later. I have unfinished family business there that will have to be eventually taken care of. Maybe not the creepiest thing to ever happen to me, but it definitely made me deactivate my account and look behind my shoulder. I was 19 years old at the time this happened, single, attending college at a university in my hometown. 
I still lived at home. I had friends, but I was romantically lonely, so I decided to download OkCupid and give it a whirl. I had friends who had used the app with moderate success. I considered myself streetwise, and I knew I could always deactivate it if anything creepy happened. I didn't choose a username that could directly lead to finding me on social media, and I didn't link up a Tinder account. I didn't list anything overtly personal in my profile, just interests like music and movies. The usual, I like hiking, let's get to know each other, blah blah blah. Things went mostly fine. I got pervy messages, nothing too extreme. I conversed pleasantly with some men and went on dates. I felt safe. Then one day I logged into my Facebook and had a chat request. He told me his name was Ryan, and he was college-aged, attending school at my university looking for friends. Now, keep in mind, I had also been in a group on Facebook about finding friends on campus because I often felt alienated there. I thought this man was from the group, so my messages were very friendly and trying to get to know you type of chats. The conversation was fine at first, but I thought it was odd that he didn't have a profile picture. He kept begging me for more pictures of myself, but demurring when I asked for a picture of him. He would bemoan how ugly he was and how pretty girls never liked hideous guys. I tried to be nice, but it started bothering me. Then the messages started getting bizarre. He kept asking me where I was going to be in class or go to class the next day. I didn't respond. They started getting more and more frequent and hysterical. I'm talking 20 or 30 a day, begging me to respond. Then finally, in terrible punctuation, I see you every day sitting in the Mac lab in the library. You are so cute, please talk to me. My blood ran cold. He had sent an accompanying picture of himself. I recognized him as the man who had harassed me on OkCupid and who I had eventually blocked. He was probably at least 20 years older than me, balding with extremely, extremely yellow teeth. I'm not trying to judge someone on appearance, but something in his eyes was wild and just didn't sit right. I'm not sure if I'm describing this right, but his eyes were just little black pits. He really creeped me out. Somehow he had found my personal Facebook from OkCupid, and I'm not even sure how. But he also knew I had studied at X Library in the Mac Lab and made it clear he had been watching me for quite some time. There is no way he would have known that unless he had been actively physically stalking me. I had never seen him on campus and never saw him again. I blocked him instantly from Facebook and always checked behind my back when I walked at night on campus. For a while I worried he was still stalking me at the library, so I changed the locations I'd study at. It was all very nerve-wracking. Creepy stalker, okay Cupid dude? Let's not meet. When I was 13, my mom decided I would be going to military boarding school. It was located north of Mexico in a place called Durango. Durango is known because it's home to many creepy things. Drug cartels, the zone of silence, ghost towns, UFO sightings, etc. I was at that school for around six years, and one day a friend invited me and other students to go to his hometown to have some tacos with his dad, a well-known rancher. When we arrived to the town, we were at his house having some drinks and eventually he decided it was time to go somewhere else. We hopped into his pickup truck and he began driving right when the sun was setting. After about half an hour, everything was dark 
and he had to turn on the headlights. I was in the front seat with my friend, and we've just arrived to the place. He slowed down the car, and we could just hear the nocturnal wildlife and some scratches on the car from branches or plants. The headlights allowed us to see just enough to distinguish shapes. He stopped the car right in front of a little lake, lagoon, pond, I don't know. We could see some bushes and trees around the water, and a few meters in front of the right headlight, we could see what we thought was a rock. The guy started unloading the truck while they joked around. My friend and I were still in the front seat smoking or something. All of a sudden, he just froze and said, Did you see that? While he pointed to the rock in front of the car with the tip of the cigarette. That there just moved. Since I've always wanted to see a cryptid or something, I remained still. We were both looking at this rock when all of a sudden it turns its head around to face us with what I thought was like a golem face. Big round yellow eyes, arched back. I turned to my friend, he grabbed his gun and quickly got out of the car, fired two shots to the sky. All this while people are still unloading the truck and making a fire for the grill and such. I heard a few screams. I saw how this creature looked up to the sky, turned around and hopped to the water. Right after that, everyone began asking what happened. My friend told us that it was actually a common sight. He explained that his father and grandfather often saw the creature when they were hunting. He said they called it Ombre Rana, or Frogman. Just a few of the guys saw the thing. We still had the tacos and everything. We were a little creeped out, but we assumed that the Frogman was probably more scared of us than we were of him. I saw many terrifying, creepy and odd things in Durango, but the Frogman takes the cake. Before even starting the story, I want to acknowledge that I fully put myself in this position, but this is still one of the most potentially dangerous encounters I've had, so wanted to share. At the time I was 19 and barely scraping together enough money to eat a few times a week, and I worked about a two and a half hour walk away from my apartment. This particular day was two days before payday, and I didn't have a dollar to take the bus, so I decided to just walk to work since I regularly walked that sort of a distance anyway. I took off, and a couple miles into the trip, it started to rain, like a torrential downpour. Of course, I did not have an umbrella or jacket and was wearing slippery flip-flops, so the rest of the walk was looking pretty daunting, but I had to get to work because I didn't have a cell phone to call and explain, and I needed to keep that job. Shortly after the rain started up, a man in a pickup truck pulled over and asked if I needed a ride. I knew full and well that hitchhiking is a bad idea, but at the time, I honestly didn't care. I was at a weird point in my life with a newly manifesting mental illness and really didn't think too much about putting myself in harm's way because I didn't care much about the outcome. So, of course, I decided it would be better to get a ride with him than to walk the rest of the way. I get in the truck with him and tell him where I need to go and he says sure thing and we start heading that way. He asks some strange questions like where do I work, do I have a boyfriend, family in the area, etc. But I was just happy to have someone to talk to so I answered them all and didn't think too much of it. We were getting close, like I could see the mall where I worked, and he asked if I'd like him to buy me a pack of cigarettes or anything. I said yes, that would be awesome, so he turns off course but passes the gas station. He saw me look at him weird and just said, oh, he had to stop by his apartment and get his wallet. At that point I knew things were weird, but again, I was more curious than afraid so I was like, okay, sure thing. We get to his apartment and it's in the basement of one of those super old giant houses people divide up into apartments. 
and it's the kind of stairs going down where you go below ground level outside with the concrete going up on both sides. There are no windows whatsoever. I said I'd wait in the truck and he kept insisting that I go in with him because he just got a new stereo and wanted to show me. I knew this was total crap, but again, just wanted to see what would happen, so I went with him anyway. I guess my thought was that if things got actually dangerous or something, a fight sounded nice that day anyway. And if he won, so what? So let's see where this thing goes. Yes, I was that mentally ill at the time. I go down the stairs and step in the door, but I did at least have the smarts to not go in further than a few feet and keep myself between him and the door. He wanted me to go into another room with him, so I just said, no man. I've got to get to work. You're going to make me late. Get your wallet so you can go and get my cigarettes, and then let's go. He went to another room for a minute, and then came out with an open beer and handed it to me. and wanted me to just have one beer with him before we left. Yeah, right. I told him if he thought I was that stupid, he had another thing coming. I had been promised cigarettes and a ride to work, and that's what he was going to do, because otherwise he'd have a problem on his hands because I literally don't give a crap, and he doesn't know what I'm capable of. Bold statement for a 5'5", 19-year-old woman weighing in at 95 pounds. But again, mentally ill. Really didn't give a care, and was no stranger to fight, so I wanted to try my luck. Surprisingly, he put the beer down, said, Well, okay then, let's go. And we went back outside and got into the truck. He did go to the gas station, got me cigarettes, and then dropped me off at work as promised. When he dropped me off, he said something to the effect of me being a lot more bold than I looked like I'd be and so sorry for the trouble, and that was that. Never saw him again. I still don't know what his intentions were with taking me to his apartment, but I can't imagine they were good. Even though my mental illness got me into that situation, I think it probably also saved me by keeping me from being the easy target he was expecting. I still can't believe I ever accepted a ride from him, and much less that I followed him into the apartment out of curiosity. But thank God it all turned out just fine. Probably should have gotten his plates and called the cops or something, but I didn't because I had my cigarettes and was at work, so I was happy and didn't even think of it. So, man with the pickup truck? Let's not meet again. Okay, so this just happened to me a little while ago, at 4.44pm Eastern Standard Time, just in case anyone's in a different time zone and sees this. I was laying on my bed, relaxing, after I reorganized my clothes and threw out old ones I never wore anymore, or things that were too small, and the ones I just didn't want. But all of a sudden, I get a phone call from my good friend. Let's call her Ray. So, thinking that Ray needed someone to vent out to, someone to talk to her, I answered with the usual, hello? And what came next threw me off a little bit. It was a man's voice that came through the phone. And the conversation went like this. Man. Hi, I found this phone in a restaurant and your number was in a recent call log. Do you know who this phone belongs to? Me. Yeah, it most likely belongs to my buddy, Ray. Man. Awesome, can you help me get it back to her? Me. Yeah, definitely, I see her tomorrow after all. Man. Okay, so I can meet up anywhere, I'm free all day. Me. Well, I'd have to talk to my legal guardian. I live with my aunt. About... Man interrupts me. And I want $50 to return the phone. Me. Oh, well, I'm sorry sir, but I don't have that kind of money. I'm only 16. It was at this point he was getting snappy at me. So I started getting snappy back. 
Man, listen, I can sell this phone on eBay for twice as much. 50 is more than fair. Me. Listen, dude, I'm a 16-year-old kid. My friend is only 16. We are both minors. Neither of us even have a job or a permit, let alone a car. I don't know how you expect me to give you the money I don't even have. He went quiet after this. I couldn't even hear his breathing. I could only hear the faint sound of tapping on a keyboard as I listened for his response. It never came. So I decided to add on a little thought that came to my head. Me. How did you even get into her phone? She has a password on it. The typing continued for a few seconds before he hung up. I was freaking out. I thought I just got my close friend's phone stolen and sold on eBay. So I called my aunt. I explained to her everything that went down, and I told her that I was terrified. She asked me to give her Ray's number, so I did. My aunt told me that she'd call the number back and see if she could get him to give the phone back. If not, she was calling the police. So in the meantime, while I was waiting for my aunt, I texted a group chat that had all my closest friends, including Ray, and told them about the situation. My aunt called me back and told me that Ray had her phone, that Ray was the one who answered and somehow this man used Ray's number to call me. I was terrified. I don't want my phone to be hacked, and I don't want my location out. She told me to turn off my location on everything so that way he at least couldn't find where I was. So I did that. I turned off my location for everything. Ray then responded in our group chat. She and I called, and she told me about a bunch of wrong number calls she got yesterday. But, she admitted this was the scariest one, if this all was a prank. I personally don't believe this was just some prank, and I'm scared at what might have happened if I was dumb enough to meet this man. Especially since sex trafficking is so high where I live. So, creepy phone hacker man? Let's never meet or call again. 3.30 a.m. Some random Tuesday in October. Sleeping soundly on my couch, I'm awakened by a loud banging and screaming. Not just drunk people at 3.30 a.m. screaming, but that horrified, panic-filled, someone is fucking dying screaming. You know it if you've heard it. My eyes open and I immediately see a half-naked woman, covered in blood, banging on my door. Ripped button-down shirt, barely holding on, boobies flapping everywhere and panties. That's it. It's freaking October, in New England. It's cold as shit here. Anyways, she's banging on my door with both fists, screaming, Help me, help me. They're chasing me. They're going to get me. They're going to kill me. Help me. For the most part, I'm dumb, but not completely. I'm not going to just open my door to some screaming bloodied up psycho. I hit my alarm and let it go off a bit, perhaps scare off whoever is chasing her. Then I do the only humane thing I can do in this situation. I let her in. I pull her into my home and close the door really quickly. Answer the call from the alarm company. Yes, send the police, send an ambulance, thank you for being real. I've never used my alarm before. It was nice to know they are actually real. Now I have this lady bleeding all over my living room and crying hysterically, repeating over and over they were animals, they were chasing me like animals, I can clearly hear she has an accent. I'm figuring Russian, Romanian, she is speaking broken English and is scared as hell. I take her into the kitchen and enter CSI mode, I'm thinking, yeah, I got this shit, 
I'm gonna not contaminate evidence and make sure I keep all the bloodied rags I used cleaner for the cops. All while she is still saying she was being chased by animals and all that. She is messed up. The side of her face is scratched up. Her arms are scraped. Her legs are all bloody with scrapes like she took a good fall. Just messed up and blood everywhere. So, scene setter. 3.30 a.m. Kitchen. Bloody half-naked, non-good English-speaking, hysterically messed up, bloody woman. Me collecting evidence. Me. It's okay. Calm down. The police are on their way with an ambulance. Psycho lady. They were chasing me like animals. Me. You're safe now. Let's get you cleaned up. Psycho lady. They were chasing me like animals. They were going to get me. Psycho lady again. They were chasing me. Then they turned into werewolves. Me thinking, oh fuck me. Psycho lady. They were chasing me and turned into werewolves in my eyes. Me. Now I'm scared. Calm down. You're safe here. I bring her back into the living room and I'm scared. Many, many thoughts running through my head now. Am I going to die tonight? Is she going to attack me? Why aren't the police here yet? I need a weapon and fast, but mostly, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, what the fuck, oh my god, oh my god, what the fuck, what the fuck, oh my god. She is bandaged, but still rambling on and on about animals and chasing her and whatever. I decide it's probably a good idea to give 911 another call, just to be sure they know my address. It also allows me to get my couch in between me and her, affording me a little bit of safety. Not much, but I was confident in my run around the couch, she'll never catch me skills. She is pacing my living room, rambling when she goes over to the window and starts staring. A good 10 second stare with a creepy silence attached to it. Then, Babies! There are babies in the road! Oh my god, look at all the babies in the road! Screaming at the top of her lungs. I'm not coming out from behind the couch. Let the babies in the road die. This goes on for a good 30 seconds. Not an imaginary 30 seconds where you think it's been like 5 minutes and it's really only been like 10 seconds. This was a full on 30 seconds of screaming and me standing behind my couch thinking, Fuck you, I'm not falling for that trick. Finally the police come. The officer knocks on my door. I now have to leave the safety of the backside of my couch to unlock the door. I dashed my ass to that door and ran out and told the cops, She's nuts, be careful. They take her to the ambulance and do whatever they need to do to her. I'm chilling on my couch, shell-shocked. I mean, what happened? The cops come back and ask me if I know her. She looks familiar, but I don't know her. Then he asks me if I was babysitting for her. I'm like, what? No, no, I'm not babysitting for her. The cop proceeds to say, oh, because she said you were babysitting her kids, and when she showed up to collect them, you wouldn't give them back. At this point, I'm exhausted and frog-eyed and throw my rights out the window and tell the cop to search my house that there are no kids here. The cops know it's a BS story she gave, but he had to ask anyhow. I understand that. He doesn't search my house. Ambulance takes her away. Cops leave. It's now 4 a.m. and I'm sitting on my couch knowing I'm never going to get back to sleep and the workday is going to suck. The best part of this story is what the police blotter said in the next day's paper. Resident lets woman claiming to be chased by werewolves into her home. Awesome. Just awesome. Turns out, I did know her. She was my neighbor. 
I arrive home from my suck-ass day to find the Department of Child and Families waiting outside my door. Come on, really? I now have to let her into my home because I, being the nosy person that I am, want to know what the deal is with the psycho woman. Contrary to what the police blotter said, I usually don't let people, sorry, people claiming to be werewolves into my home. I was willing to make the exception for the police the prior night because I was scared and fear can quickly remove quite a few boundaries. Anyhow, DCF woman informs me that Psycho Woman was my neighbor. I knew she looked familiar, but I just couldn't place her face. Perhaps the blood and scrapes and psychotic behavior threw me off. There seems to be a missing child, or so Psycho Woman told them at the hospital. I'm starting to get a little freaked out, as Psycho Woman already accused me of not giving back her, what we thought, imaginary kids. The story I got from DCF was limited. She wouldn't divulge much information, but in a nutshell, what I did manage to get was this. Psycho Woman lives next door to me, the house to my right. We share a driveway. The house is a duplex, so people are always coming and going. I never paid much attention to anyone living there. Psycho Woman claims she has a child, a little girl, age unknown. Said child is missing. Psycho Woman was under the influence of mind-altering drugs. She was Romanian. That's it. The messed up thing is that I do remember seeing a child over there. A little girl, probably about four. I've only seen her one time, maybe twice in the three plus years Psycho Woman has lived there. Again, never paid too much attention to what went on over there. DCF questions me about everything from have I seen this lady before to why would Psycho Lady choose my door to bang on. I'm not especially paranoid, but I can recognize the potential for a situation to turn ugly very quickly. I tell DCF Lady that I have no clue who the fuck this woman is, why she would choose to bang on my door, or where the psycho woman's alleged child is. Pretty much exactly like that. DCF Lady ensures me that they don't think I'm involved, and that this is just a routine for them to follow up. DCF Lady leaves. I'm pretending like I don't want anything to do with the situation, but honestly, my life is pretty boring. This is the most excitement I've had in months. Next day, four police cars, canine squad, five to six uniformed cops, two plain clothes, show up at my neighbor's house. My nosy ass goes outside. Psycho woman's door is wide open and the fuzz is walking in and out and the canine unit is bringing in the dogs. The cop tells me the following story. I swear on all that is sacred, I am not making this up. It seems that upon entering the house, they found a mess. Just dirty, dingy, and all-around health hazard. The basement was wall-to-wall -wall mattresses. The bathroom attached to the basement was just rank. It was a two-bedroom condo with the non-master bedroom wall-to-wall -wall mattresses. However, the master bedroom looked like a king's room. That's pretty much all I got out of the cops. I hung around and watched them drag all the mattresses out. It was pretty gross dirty piss stains and whatever else nastiness all over them. They took about three dressers, cheap Walmart types. Miscellaneous other crap, tables, chairs, couch, etc. Turns out this house is a Romanian immigrant sex trafficking operation. The owner of the house is bringing these Romanian girls over, providing housing, if you can call it housing, and selling them out for sex. Psycho Woman did have a kid, but it was taken away by DCF about six months prior. The psycho woman herself was, as far as they could tell, on a job using what they think was crank or meth. She freaked out all messed up 
and was running home when she must have fell several times and got all messed up. She, again what they think, hit the height of her paranoia upon reaching my door and then, well, the rest is history. Moral of the story, if you don't let crazy, bloodied, half-naked women into your home at 3.30 a.m., you will never find out that your neighbors are running a Romanian immigrant sex trafficking operation. When I was in high school, I knew my parents' divorce was imminent. My mom was cheating on my dad, and my dad was cheating on my mom. I did everything I could to prevent my parents divorcing, but I knew it was a lost cause. My mother had been planning to leave him for a long time, and eventually served him on my 17th birthday. They agreed to live under the same roof until I was out of high school, so I wouldn't have the stress of having two homes. When I was a little over 18, my mom had been consistently conversating with new men on multiple dating apps. She even got an app that I was known to use called Kix Messenger. She fell asleep with the app open one night, and I'd seen that she was messaging a man named John. I'm not using his actual name due to privacy concerns, obviously. I ignored it, but I'd known the name and seen the face multiple times on her cell phone. Fast forward maybe two months. My dad and I were just spending time together and wanted to go out somewhere to eat. His friend called him up that night. My dad has been known to be a social drinker who frequented local bars. He had many good friends that were bartenders and fellow social drinkers. His friend was at the local bar and met a man named AJ who was looking for my father by name in order to buy a vehicle. My dad is a car sales manager. So we stopped by the bar that night because we just thought we'd eat there. The bar isn't really shabby or the typical bar most would think of. We live in a small town and the bar was on the lake and people could rent lots to put their campers on. It was like a club slash lodge. This man introduced himself as AJ. However, I recognized him immediately as the man who my mother had been conversating online with. I didn't say anything to my dad at first. I for sure thought he just looked similar and I was overreacting. That is until he called me by my full name without anyone introducing him to me or even saying my name. He knew my first, middle, and last name. He also came up to me to greet me at the table I was sitting at. He tried getting me to open lotto tickets for him and was rubbing up against me and trying to touch my inner thighs. I was kind of frozen and didn't know what to do. He eventually left me alone after he saw people staring at him. I did what I knew to do. I googled John's full name on Google and Facebook. And that's when I found out that he was a registered sex offender slash ex-con in the bordering state over. I looked repeatedly from AJ to the man on my phone screen and there was no doubt he was the same dude. He only lived about 30 minutes away from my own home. I pulled my dad to the side and told him that this man was not who he said he was. I showed him the picture and the information I'd found. I ran to the bathroom crying because I knew something bad was happening. He lied about his name, knew both me and my father's name, and knew where my father worked. After hearing this info, my dad refused to go outside with AJ. He made multiple attempts at getting my dad outside alone to take a look at my dad's truck due to the fact he wanted something similar. He eventually stopped pushing my dad and went outside for a smoke. The manager of the bar immediately locked the doors and locked him outside, refusing to let him back in. Everyone in the bar, most of them were close friends of my dad, had seen how suspicious he was acting 
and many had seen him rubbing up against me. The manager called the cops to report him. It didn't take him long to figure out that he'd been caught, and he attempted to leave the bar and drive away. My dad followed him up the road, trying to make sure he didn't get away. However, he was plastered and ended up crashing in the snowbank just up the road from the bar. He was caught by the police and charged with a DWI. He was jailed just five minutes up the road from my home. I did not sleep a good night's sleep for about a month. If he knew my family as well as he seemed to, he probably knew where I lived. He was bailed out only two days after the incident. His vehicle had been found with duct tape, drugs, rope, a crowbar, and other materials in it when they impounded his car. He was also charged for violating his probation. He is a tier 3 sex offender. He'd raped a minor with a deadly weapon and was required to register for life. He was not supposed to leave the state at the time of the incident, not supposed to have a Facebook or almost any form of social media where he could reach a minor, and was not allowed to even operate his vehicle due to his license being taken away. I also ended up pressing charges for sexual harassment as well as getting a restraining order against him. I also found out later through phone records and the police tracking his phone that he'd driven past my home more than 20 times in the week leading up to the incident. He'd also been to my dad's job and my school multiple times throughout a period of six months. He'd been following both of us for a long time. I have never experienced something so crazy or scary in my life. I live in a completely different state, thousands of miles away now, thank God. But my family is still in the state that the incident happened. He still has yet to be charged or arrested with the harassment slash stalking charges, and probably never will seeing as he knows if he comes back to the state, he can be arrested if he so much as pulled over because he has a warrant out for his arrest. Since then, I do not ever put my full name on any social media. I only put my first name, except for things like Facebook. I've become a very paranoid person when it comes to my full name and my address or other personal info. Please, everyone, be careful who you talk to on dating sites. You never know who's behind the screen or what their true intentions are. And if you do find someone you like, investigate and do your homework. I lived in a town with a population of 5,000, and I never once thought this kind of thing could happen to me. But it can, and it will happen. I live in an apartment complex that is pretty upscale. It has plenty of standalone buildings, with four apartments in each, two on the ground floor and two on the upper floor. The only thing I don't like is many of the buildings have basements that connect the buildings to each other from the basement doors. All three of the other tenants in my building are single girls and I'm a single man. We usually keep to ourselves, none of us are friends or really talk to each other. I think the three girls all have boyfriends because they're usually gone most weekends. Now. This incident I'm about to mention happened about four weeks ago. On Fridays, I usually will have a few drinks and play some video games or have a few buddies over. On this particular night though, I was alone. I played my Switch and had a few strong beers. I was feeling pretty good. It was just sitting on the couch and that sort of, do I have another one or do I just go to bed feeling. I was playing on my phone for a minute when I heard a pounding on my door. I froze and sat there, not hearing anything else. I yelled, 
Who is that? No answer. Another loud pounding, and I yelled, Who the hell's outside? No answer again. I started to get nervous, and slowly got up. I looked through the peephole, and saw no one. Since I can't see left or right, I wasn't dumb enough to open the door and look. So I just put the chain lock on, which I barely do because it's instinct for me to lock the deadbolt as soon as I walk into my apartment. Nothing else happened the rest of the night, but I semi-sobered up pretty quick and didn't fall asleep for quite a while, even though I knew I was safe. The next week flew by, and I just forgot about it, thinking it was the girl and her boyfriend that lived below me. They were both potheads, and I heard them and seen them yelling and laughing in the parking lot multiple times before. Now, another Friday night, where I'm drinking and playing video games, suddenly, I heard the booming hits on my door again. This time, I shout, Okay, you're done. I go grab a knife from the kitchen, and as I'm grabbing it, I hear the pounding again. I shout, Get out of here! As I walk towards the door, pounding my feet so they know I meant business, I fling open the door, and I hear footsteps going down the main floor, and I decide to follow. Then, I hear them going into the basement. I stop when I hear that, because I know there's no way I'm going down there. I run back into my apartment, lock all the locks, and go into my porch, knowing I'll see a light go on in the apartment next to mine for whoever it was who just ran home through the basements. No lights came on at all in any of them. This was about 2am when it happened, by the way. So, nothing happened last week, but it's the weekend again, and I'm a little freaked out now, hoping it doesn't happen again tonight. This time, I have a baseball bat right by the door, and I plan on charging out if it happens again. Wish me luck. I'd like to share three stories that happened to me involving glitches in the Matrix. I used to read this sub on Reddit and have always been incredibly interested in the topic, but I haven't thought about it much lately. But two little things happened recently that made me remember a third glitch that happened, so I figured I'd revisit this sub and share. My brother and I were browsing Amazon for some last minute little Christmas gifts that we might want to order. This was about 11.45pm, so we were the only two awake in the house as our parents were asleep in their room. We had been browsing for a bit when we saw sort of a holiday themed tin full of popcorn. It looked super good. As we admired this delicious looking popcorn, talking about how we would love to eat some popcorn at that moment, we started to notice this incredibly strong smell. It smelled undeniably of freshly popped popcorn. The smell was so fragrant, I could have sworn it was coming from directly in front of us, which, incidentally, was where my computer was. I was super confused, but didn't say anything because I generally thought it was all in my head. That is, until my brother looked at me, dumbfounded, after a few moments, and asked if I had popcorn in here. We were in my bedroom, by the way. I was shocked, and I told him I didn't, but that I really thought I was imagining the smell. We then checked all over the house, but everyone in my house, my mom and dad, were the only other people in the house at the time. They were asleep, except for my mom, who happened to wake up for a moment to go to the bathroom. She heard us walking around, and sleepily asked us why we had made popcorn, and brought it upstairs to our bedroom so late. So, it seems that she smelled it too. Mind you, my bedroom is on the second floor, 
and is the farthest away from the kitchen on the first floor, where our only appliances or food is kept. We checked the kitchen to see if the smell was coming from there, but we couldn't even smell it downstairs. All the lights were off, and nobody was on the first floor. Nor did we even have any popcorn in the house. We rarely do. The smell was definitely coming from my room. It's also important to note that my house stands alone, and is not attached to or even close to any neighbor's house. It was as if my brother and I had imagined the smell of popcorn into existence. I have been looking everywhere for what could have caused a scent so strong and so similar to that of fresh popcorn. But so far, I've come up empty. This second glitch happened about a week and a half ago. It was my dad's birthday, so I had bought him a birthday cake that day to celebrate with my mom and brother. I had decided to buy him an ice cream cake, which is something we very rarely have. While I was at the store, I found this particular type of Reese's Cup ice cream cake in the oddly specific size I was looking for. I was excited about it because it was the first time I'd seen a cake like that and, to my knowledge, neither I nor my family had ever had a cake like that. To be fair, we rarely, and I mean rarely, have cake, even on birthdays. At the store, I asked to have it personalized with the words, Happy Birthday, Father Dearest, with an exclamation point, written on the top in green icing. Father Dearest is a name only I, jokingly, call my dad. On top of that, I thought green was an odd color choice for the lettering, but I thought my dad would find it amusing. When I got home... I went to put it in our basement seldom used freezer to both hide it and keep it frozen until we were ready to eat it. However, when I opened the freezer, there was the same damn cake that I had in my hands. It was the same type of cake, same size, with the same words written in the same color. Now, while I didn't particularly inspect it super closely, it even looked as if the handwriting was exactly the same. I was stunned. I immediately went upstairs and asked everyone in my family why and how there was already a cake in the freezer since we had all established maybe a week or so prior that I was in charge of buying my dad's birthday cake. Nobody had any recollection of buying or even seeing a cake like that one and everyone was stumped as to why I would have had the same message on the cake that I bought. The cake looked really fresh too, so I don't see how it could be possible that someone had bought it and already forgot about it. Not only that, but having the message, Father Dearest, is just not something anyone would even think to call my dad. I was honestly kind of freaked out about it, even though it was just a cake, and I'm not really sure why. The moment I had opened the freezer and saw the duplicate cake, it just felt so uncomfortable and bizarre. I don't know how else to describe it. I kind of brushed aside these two incidents, but earlier today, I remembered them both simultaneously, and it hit me like a ton of bricks, just how damn odd they really were. While I'm an incredibly open-minded person, I am not one to assume anything unexplainable or out of the ordinary would happen to me. But the more I begin to reconsider these moments, the more baffled by them I become and it reminded me of another incident that happened almost two years ago. 
So, this happened while I was still in college. Every day for about 5 months, I had the same exact routine. Alarm goes off at 7.30am, I get up, take my dog for a walk until 8.30am, walk to my campus for my 9am class, and pretty much that's it every day. So one morning at the end of November, the alarm on my phone goes off, I look at the time, and it's 7.30am as per usual, and I get up to do my routine. In this particular day, my class was meeting at the campus library, which was closer to my apartment than our other classroom. So I had been obsessively checking this time on my phone, because I knew I didn't have to leave quite as early as I usually do, and wanted to maximize the time I had to walk my dog. I get back from my walk and check the time on my phone. It was around 8.43am. I remember this so vividly, because when I saw the time, I was reflexively nervous that I was going to be late, until I remembered I didn't have to walk as far. I am a severely anxious person, and I almost neurotically check the time. Not only that, but it's sort of an anxious tick of mine to say the time over and over in my head as I'm transitioning between spaces, while checking the time every few minutes for updates, to make sure I'm not late for whatever it is I'm doing on my schedule. It's a miserable way to live, I know. So, I head off to the library, walking at a fairly quick pace, checking the time every few minutes, as I always do. I don't take my time when I'm walking. As expected, it takes about 12 to 13 minutes. I get to the front entrance where we're supposed to meet, and I see that no one from my class is there. It was a small, tight-knit writing class, and we're all very active participants. So it's super weird to see that no one showed up. As I'm about to pull out my phone to text my professor, I see my entire class, including my professor, walk out of the library. I was really confused. I walked up to my professor and asked if I had missed an email or something about changing our meeting time. She kind of laughed at me and told me class was over. I had no idea what she was talking about and pulled out my phone to question what she meant, which is when I saw the time. And I kid you not, it said 10am. I must have looked like I saw a ghost or something because my professor's face turned from amusement to concern as she asked what happened. I kind of stammered and sputtered something about how I would have sworn on my life that it was 8.58am just a moment ago. I knew she could tell that I was seriously messed up over this, so she told me not to worry about it. It happens sometimes, and she won't take any points off my participation grade. But for hours after this, I honestly felt like I couldn't think straight. I was so confused. I'm not sure if even the word confused is the right description. It messed me up pretty bad, especially considering that this time of my life, my anxiety was so bad that I had to plan out every minute of my day, or else I'd kind of spiral into a crippling anxiety-ridden mess. I had my daily routine down almost robotically from the moment I'd wake up. Being off or losing an entire hour was just not something that would go unnoticed. I replayed that morning over and over again in my head, trying to figure out what went wrong, but it just didn't make sense. It still doesn't. The only thing I can think of is that this ordeal made me extra paranoid about the time, which messed me up subconsciously, which, in turn, messed up with my time in reality. I don't know. I like to note, though, that daylight savings wasn't a factor since daylight savings happened only a few weeks prior and I had already changed all my clocks. It was the end of November.
Regardless, I had been using my phone as my clock, which automatically changes in the middle of the night on daylight savings. I really have no idea what happened that morning, but the two odd events that happened recently immediately brought my attention back to how absolutely nuts I felt on that morning. Now, I understand that my experiences aren't nearly as earth-shattering as some other glitch stories I've heard and read, and maybe there are totally reasonable explanations for these occurrences, and I apologize if this story was not incredibly exciting, but my two recent experiences have me thinking about how many glitches people may be experiencing without even knowing it. Had I not been so worried about that birthday cake situation, I may have just ignored the smell of popcorn the other night. While I am, admittedly, not a huge fan of the simulation theory, I wholeheartedly recognize that there is so very much about this universe that we have barely even begun to understand. I found myself so wrapped up in observing and studying other people's unusual theories and experiences that I almost failed to recognize some of my own. It's very possible that I've had many other little glitches that I've ignored and forgot about, assuming there were incredibly simple explanations for them. My hope is that we all can be even just a little bit more attentive to the world with which we interact, even more so than we already are. Maybe the more people we have acknowledging the parts of the world that aren't understood, even the insignificant parts, the closer we will get to understanding the mysteries surrounding us. Just over 10 years ago, my sophomore year of college had just started. I was starting to become an architect. The classes in the architecture program were notorious for being extremely time consuming, and the students would pull all-nighters frequently. I wasn't in the program yet, but I was taking the prep classes. We had been given an assignment that required using several abstract drawings and turning them into sculptures. From there, we could derive the space that they created or some kind of theoretical garbage like that. One night, I stayed really late to work on this project. I could have done more work at home, but I liked working on campus. I felt that it kept my mind more on the project. Fewer distractions. It got to be one or two in the morning by the time I finished, and my body was just ready to be done. At this time of night, there were only a few buildings on campus that were really open. The hospital was one, and the architecture building was the other. So, when I finished early that morning, I wasn't surprised to be the only one out as I left the building. I probably should have been more cautious though, but I actually found the solitude extremely peaceful. I walked home because it wasn't too far from the house where I was renting a room at. All I needed to do was get across campus and two main roads. I got to the edge of campus within a few minutes and crossed the four-lane road that separated campus from a cemetery. I decided to take a shortcut through the main roads since they weren't too busy at this hour. This saved me time of having to cross twice at the intersection near my place. And this also may have saved my life. After crossing the street, my journey took me down the road alongside the cemetery. This cemetery was ancient. It had graves that were almost 200 years old. This late at night, I probably should have been creeped out walking past the tombstones, but I was really enjoying being alone. 
As I got to the end of the cemetery, I came to the intersection with the other main road and pushed the pedestrian button across. The light changed quickly to green, but as I was crossing, a short school bus pulled up into the left turn lane across from me at the light. At first, I didn't give it too much thought because it didn't seem out of place. Then, out of the corner of my eye, I noticed something that was odd about its shape. I looked again. It had a huge megaphone attached to the top of it, and that definitely caught my attention. It was probably around 4 feet tall, and I stared at it the entire time I was crossing the street. By now, it was obvious that the paint job was abnormal as well. I don't remember the details, but I do remember being reminded of a clown vehicle. That was so weird, but it wasn't completely out of place. We had a large liberal arts school, and the students liked to modify cars in weird ways. So I wasn't freaked out just yet. Just as I stepped off of the road and back onto the sidewalk, several things happened at once. First, the door of the bus opened. Next, the driver locked eyes with me. And lastly, a voice came across the megaphone. That voice literally sounded like it came out of a horror movie. When it asked in that electric scratchy voice, it was so loud, I couldn't believe nobody else heard it. At that moment, I realized obviously that something was wrong with this scenario. I didn't want to panic though, so I kept walking that pace I was going. Fortunately, I was only two houses away from my place. I went back inside and locked the door, and I didn't go back out that night. I'm not even sure if I ever told anyone besides my wife about this because it was so weird and unbelievable. It may have just been a prank, but if I had followed my normal path home and crossed in front of that bus instead of up the street, I don't know if I'd be here writing this story today. This will likely be a long story, as there's a lot of background information required. For starters, I'm a 17-year-old girl from Colorado. I'm white, and I don't have a lick of Native American blood in me, but I don't think it really matters for this. My dad's side of the family all have farms in Minnesota, built on land that was heavily populated by Native Americans well over a century ago. We know this because we found boxes on top of boxes of Native American artifacts, including tons of arrow and spearheads, ceremonial jewelry, and pottery shards, tapping stones, and more. Every year during spring planting, the tractors bring up even more. We have experienced paranormal happenings on our land, but I'm only there so often, so I've only experienced a very small handful of things that I couldn't really explain. For the most part, while I am a Christian and a believer of the paranormal and supernatural, I like to find logical explanations to things. I'm often very curious and it takes a lot to scare me. I've been through enough shit already to have lost most of my fear, but this year especially has been testing me on all levels. I had to fly back to Minnesota the Wednesday after Memorial Day 
because my grandpa passed away on Memorial Day morning. His death, honestly, shocked us all. He was stubborn and strong, and despite his disabilities and illnesses, he always pulled through when he got sick and was determined to return to the farm. But I guess he just couldn't take it anymore and passed away peacefully at home, surrounded by his wife and kids. He wanted all of his grandkids, including myself, to be at his funeral, so I flew in as soon as possible, leaving my responsibilities in Colorado. My mom was nice enough to come with me, even though my parents divorced when I was a toddler. She just stayed at a hotel and out of our way for the most part, even though we invited her to grandpa's wake and funeral. My mom wanted me to connect with my Minnesota family more than ever. So, the night of the day I flew in, my aunt offered me to take me to my uncle's place for something to do. We'll call him Uncle A. My Uncle A just lives a quarter mile up the road from my grandma's farm, or across the field from me. Grandma's farm is visible from Uncle A's house, and I could easily walk to the houses. When I got there, my uncle almost immediately gave me a 22 caliber rifle and a Mountain Dew soda, and complained to me about his growing blackbird problem. He said he would give me a dollar for each bird I would shoot, so I agreed to go out there. It was getting dark, and the sights of the rifle were off, so I didn't get anything at all except for leaves in the sky. If the sights on the rifle were good, I would have made five bucks that night, at least. My uncle found his other twenty-two rifle, with the good sights, but by then, it was too dark to differentiate the blackbirds from the robins and it's illegal to shoot robins in the state of Minnesota. So, to pass the time, my uncle set up a pyramid of old soda and beer cans and a balanced a few gallon caps on a gallon of laundry detergent for us to shoot at. My little cousins came out with their bows and BB guns, so my uncle and I would take turns showing the boys how to shoot their weapons and fired our .22s as well. We were having a very good time, and I almost forgot the main reason why I was in Minnesota in the first place. My cousins had gone down to the basement walkout, where my aunt and uncle's wife were sitting. Meanwhile, my uncle and I continued shooting our 22s, when my uncle suddenly commanded me to stop shooting. He was tracking something with his finger. What the fuck is that? My uncle shouted under his breath. What is what? I asked, alarmed. I squinted to see what my uncle was tracking, and then I saw it. From our standpoint, we could see across many young fields over rolling hills. If you look to the left, you could see Grandma's house, and if you look to the right, you could see several more farms dotting the fields. If you looked straight ahead, you'd see the side of a large hill with a field on it, and just ahead of that hill was a small grove of trees that also lined our property. The creature my uncle was pointing at was running parallel to the horizon and would eventually run across that hillside, which was no more than a quarter mile away from us. It was hauling ass running as fast or faster than a racehorse. 
The creature was solid black, very large and slender, with a small head, extremely long and thin legs, and no visible tail. At first, we thought it was a deer, but it was too slender and black to be a deer. Then I suggested it was a Great Dane, or perhaps a horse. But no one in our area has a black Great Dane, or any big black dog for that matter, nor does anyone have a black horse. And the way this creature was running, it didn't look like either of those. It was about the size of a horse, but it ran a bit like a deer, with a spring in its step. It had a hunched back and legs that were long and skinny like twigs and its head was pretty small. It looked like a greyhound, but much, much larger, and it looked a bit distorted and twisted too. I don't really know how to explain that. I just knew it was pretty messed up. I can tell the front of it was larger than its back, like the rib cage jutted out a bit, and while its front legs were almost like long human arms, and its back legs were like a deer's, only a bit meatier than that, and its hip bones seemed to jut out, a bit like hips on a Holstein cow. It was galloping and gaining speed, like it was on the hunt, but we didn't see what it was hunting down. I didn't get nervous until it banked our way and charged into the thin line of trees separating our property from the neighbors. This line was two trees thick at most and the trees were oak trees, no older than 20 years. We should have been able to see that thing stop, especially since it was no more than 300 feet away when it ran into the trees, but we didn't see it nor hear anything. Plus, even when it came so close, other than its size, there was nothing very clear about it. It was just slender, long-legged, puny-headed, and it didn't even have any visible tail. My uncle's wife suddenly called our attention, asking what the hell we're seeing, and she said we were scaring the little cousins. My uncle described it as just as I did, and I confirmed because she thought we were just BSing. My uncle and I stayed in our places, our rifles loaded and ready to go and stared at those trees for a good 10 minutes, occasionally glancing at each other, and saw nothing exit, nor heard anything move. It was a windless, quiet night, so we could hear almost everything, including the cows nearly a mile away. Needless to say, we were both pretty freaked out, and I spent some of my time on the phone, looking up various things to see if I could come up with some rational explanation for what we saw. Yeah, of course, I found nothing, except for skinwalker stories and descriptions, which fit the creature we saw perfectly. I've heard of skinwalkers before, and heard many stories, but never really believed they existed. Even if they did, I thought they were only in the southwestern states, but I guess they can appear anywhere. So, what do you guys think? I'm open to possible explanations, similar experiences, and any other ideas. I don't usually share paranormal stories, but what happened that Wednesday night will definitely stick with me. I don't know if this matters, but my family and I have been 
having some pretty bad luck lately. Before and after the sighting. If losing my grandpa wasn't enough, my oldest uncle, Uncle B, nearly lost his life in a tractor accident. He is okay, just a broken foot and 20 stitches in his head. I've struggled with my health severely this past year. I have a cystic fibrosis and am one of the healthiest CFers in the world. But even I had to drop out of school to get better. I'm wondering if perhaps I was cursed for some reason. The bad luck refuses to leave me alone. In just the last few days, I'm visiting my other grandpa's childhood farm in North Dakota. And I've lost my phone to the river while fishing. Caught no fish despite there being schools of them everywhere. And we had a storm come through a couple nights ago. That was the worst storm to hit in over 80 years. Even in Colorado, our weather has been worse than usual. And my mental health definitely took a dive when grandpa died. I applied for many different hunting tags in many different states. And I didn't get any tags at all. I'm not one to complain, but the skinwalker sighting seemed to escalate my bad luck. Maybe it's just been a rough year and I'm overthinking things, but maybe I'm not. This happened three summers ago, but I remember the main events. To preface this, I've been on a shocking amount of dates and I've put myself in way too many foolish situations in the past. I am a female, and I was 25 at the time of this encounter. It started on the POF app, also known as Plenty of Fish. I came across a cute guy. He was my type physically, kind of nerdy looking. On his profile, he had very adventurous photos of him, hiking and traveling. He seemed really exciting to get to know. Once he saw I looked at his profile, he sent me a message. We flirted a bit back and forth and exchanged numbers, even though he lived an hour away. He said, on the app, that he's never been in my city before and didn't plan on it so we probably wouldn't meet. I respected his honesty. I don't like wasting my time. One day shortly after meeting him online, he texted me randomly saying he's in my town on some work thing and invited me to a bar he was at. I decided to meet up since I was already in the area. He said he would pick me up. I was dumb and I agreed even though it was just over 4 blocks away. It took him way longer than it should have to get to me, and I honestly don't think he was actually ever at the bar. Once I was in his car, I noticed it was a rental, and it seemed like he had just gotten his license because he was a terrible driver. After driving in circles, he told me to pick a place, but not in the area because parking is impossible. I picked a place about 15 minutes away by car, with lots of parking, but also a busy place since I was with a stranger. Once there, he started pressuring me to drink. He actually insisted, and I'm not a huge drinker, but I enjoy pub style bars. I caved and had a drink, and was again pressured to have another one. He was very pushy and seemed really irritated that I wasn't going for it. Usually, I'd end the date pretty quickly if I was being mistreated, but he became charming enough to keep me there at least until the end of the date. I saw an old acquaintance at the bar and wanted my date to know I knew him. In my head, I think I wanted my date to know that someone could identify him. I'm not a paranoid person, but I just wanted to be cautious. 
After about an hour of talking in the bar, I tell him I'm ready to head out. He insisted we go across the road to get coffee. At the time, it seemed strange to me. Neither of us had much to drink and didn't need to sober up. Coffee seems like an odd choice otherwise. But I entertained it. He told me he rented a beautiful Airbnb in a nearby neighborhood that is more out of the city and towards the country. He told me he had it all to himself and invited me and he kept going on about how nice it is. I kept politely saying no and throwing around different excuses which he would counter with a reason for me to come. With no intention of going, I agreed but only if he would drive me home so I can get night things. I felt he wasn't going to let me say no. He seemed happy with that answer, so we headed out. While driving in the direction of my place, he instead said he would stop at a 7-Eleven and grab me travel-sized items so I wouldn't eat anything. I felt panicked because my plan was not to go with him. Something about him was off, and I felt stupid for even getting back in his car to begin with. He turned his car, and we were then headed toward the more country area. Literally, there aren't any 7-Elevens or open stores in the middle of nowhere. Then, I mentioned that I'm actually thinking I'd prefer not to stay with him, and has to be brought home. He then said something that made me completely nervous to be around him for any longer. He said he's sharing the Airbnb with the owners and said that they're really fun and sweet and that they drink and play games together. But the thing that threw me off was he originally said he had it all to himself. I knew I didn't want to make it obvious that I was catching on to his lie, so I went along with it and said, Oh, I have to wear my cute fluffy overnight PJs instead of my day dress because I'll be way comfier. I mentioned that I need my medication and absolutely can't miss a dose either. Surprisingly, he turned around and as we drove back to the city, I felt a bit calmer but at that point, still not safe. Finally, we get close to my place I had no intention of letting him close enough to know where I live. He was mentioning that he was going to come up to my apartment once we got there. And that's just a huge hell no for me. I don't know what I would do, but I looked for any opportunity to get out of the situation, knowing he could turn around and take me somewhere private in the matter of 15 minutes if he wanted to. We got to a stop sign where people were crossing, and I was thinking, thank God. I quickly but calmly got out and said, you know what? I think I have a headache. I'll text you. I closed the door and went through a public park which was beside a building that his car wouldn't be able to drive into. I looked back to make sure he wasn't getting out of his car or following and I could see him staring at me. He was so furious I have chills just thinking about it. Within the hour he had blocked me on the app. Looking back I think he possibly wanted me to get coffee to possibly put something in it. I think he told me on the app that we wouldn't ever meet to maybe cover his ass. And, for some reason, I just know he didn't have good intentions with me. Since then, I have met my fiancé on the app and was super careful about dating up until then, making sure that the few first dates were very public and to arrange my own transportation. So, POF creep, let's not meet again.